0: Welcome to Coffee with Romina, this is your host Romina Tai, award-winning leader, negotiation and sales expert, and your new favorite podcaster. Each week we bring you inspiring stories from extraordinary people of diverse industries, sharing practical advice and tips on how to overcome career and personal obstacles, define your own success, and take charge of your own destination. Thank you for spending time with us today, now let the show begin. hello my beautiful people this is your favorite podcaster Romina and I hope you guys are having a tremendous and a fabulous and a gorgeous and a beautiful day well welcome to coffee with Romina podcast if this is your first time ever tuning into our show welcome and if you are one of our loyal listeners welcome back and <laughs> I know I'm super hyper you guys but I'm super excited actually about today's episode with Carlos, Dependent, because we talk about communicating and collaborating effectively, especially working virtually. That kind of rhymed. Perfect, right? Well, a lot of companies, as a matter of fact, have been recruiting top talents from all over the world and working virtually on different projects. But since 2020, with lovely COVID, we are actually seeing virtual work being a lot more practical and a lot more exposed to companies that before would not even settle for remote work and this is exactly what we talked to Carlos for. Carlos has been able to work remotely for a while he had put multiple projects on helping teams how to work effectively together that being remotely or virtually and that's why this episode is going to be absolutely very helpful. I don't want to spoil the episode a lot you guys but before we do get to the juicy stuff in the interview just some quick house errands here Go ahead and hit the subscribe button wherever you are getting your podcast juice from. Make sure to hit the subscribe button, you guys, so you don't miss any future episodes from Coffee with Romina. And, numero dos, if you are listening from Apple Podcasts, go ahead and give us a five star review and tell us how amazing we are doing by actually putting in the comments your favorite episode number as well. And now, back to the normal voice. <laughs> it was just a little try, you guys. And, numero tres, I got nothing else. Enjoy the show! Hi, Carlos. How are
1: you today? I'm great, Romine. How about you?
0: I'm good. I'm super hyper. I had only one cup of coffee, but here we are. Here's my life. <laughs> but without losing any time, I actually want to pass on the mic to you. Tell us a little bit. How did you go about having the career that you currently have? i let the audience know you a little bit more.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I was interesting. I was signing up to do some mentoring through Florida State University, where I got my first graduate degree down Tallahassee Way. And I realized, looking at the questionnaire... That my career is not anything I planned on when I left grad school the first time. And I found my way into this job of being an organizational consultant by serendipity. It's almost like the career found me. Started out in the theater, I was a trained actor. I have my union cards to be an actor. That didn't go so well. I got into photography because I love the arts. I've always thought of myself as an artist. I got into the business end of photography because I wasn't that good a photographer. (laughs) Two fails in the arts world, but I still have that spirit. I have that temperament. I found doing the business of photography for 10 years in Manhattan, working with clients. I had a flair for understanding how the business worked. It wasn't so much that I was a good salesperson. I was fair or a good marketer or any of that. I was good at understanding what made the business click on the inside. And I started informally consulting to my own company back in the day. 10 years of doing that, I actually got hired by a consultancy. And I started out learning how to do training and Mm -hmm. development. So I spent a few years as an external consultant, training manager and leaders. After three years of that, where I, I changed jobs a couple of times within that consultancy, ended up doing work around change management and performance management. Got hired by IBM to be an internal leadership consultant. And that's very much happenstance, right? I'm not ambitious in a traditional way. I'm more creative than I am ambitious, I think. And I knew I had a calling that, I, like I say, I sort of stumbled into, and here I am. It's been a great ride. I, I ended up at Mars Incorporated, where I spent 17 years. People in my profession usually spend two or three years at a place. They go in, they address some problems, they learn some things, and then they move on. But I had seventeen wonderful years, actually eighteen years, at Mars Incorporated, and from that I moved into my own consultancy a couple of years ago. If I look back thirty years, couldn't have predicted that I would land where I did.
0: So, is that your way of telling people like where you are right now is also not you know your final career?
1: <laughs> it's interesting. In my career has been a narrowing, a constant mm-hmm. narrowing, greater and greater focus in the areas where I can contribute unique value. It just took me longer to get there. Now, my daughter, who is in her early 30s, knew from the time she was in high school she wanted to be an economist and to work with economics and with analytics. And lo and behold, that is what she does to this day. Now, her job is more interesting and more varied than that, but her analytical prowess is really impressive. And she knew early in life that she wanted to do that. Others have a different path. And that's really my message. If you come out of school, whether it's undergrad or graduate school, and you don't know exactly what you want to do, that's okay. Yeah. Just go do something, get involved, work, see what you find, and you'll be amazed at where you land.
0: So besides your consultant and doing your your normal work, you're also an author, which I actually have the privilege of having both of your books right here, you guys. I will focus on the lessons from Mars in a bit, but I want to focus a little bit on the virtual teams a book from the resilience Series portion. So number one, this book, Tim Moore, the publisher, he is very passionate about putting the books out there. It gives you ultimately like six weeks to to get it out. So virtual teams, let's talk just a little bit about the whole book idea because you do focus a lot on teamwork and on training, but how was your experience just to write a whole resilience Series as a teamwork with everybody, even though you wrote the book yourself? But what was that experience like, a whole team just launching
1: up? 10 books in the series that Tim envisioned. And Tim Ward's a wonderful guy and and a visionary, I think. He he probably wouldn't use that word for himself, but he is. And he came to me in February, I think, maybe early March. Probably early March, now that I reflect on it because of the timing. Uh, I'd started work on another book. Mm -hmm. It was going to be sort of a handbook, a team leader's manual for how to operate the team, right, effectively, with some really research-based insights to how to make a team work much of it not what you learn in the traditional team building realm. But I started this manual for a team leader and I was kind of stumbling along through it. I had a couple of partners helping me with it and they dropped out and Tim comes along and says, we got to get some books out there about how to live through this pandemic. Do you think you could do something on virtual teams? I said, you know what? The book I've started, I delve pretty heavily into that. Mm -hmm. I think I can adapt the outline I've got and I'll bet I could crank something out pretty quickly. I never expected I could write that much in what ended up being, I think, a six-week window. It was a marvelous exercise. I am a person who responds well to deadlines. Another cool part of it you've alluded to, which is there are nine other authors in addition to myself and Tim. And we got together every couple of weeks, virtually, obviously, and we shared ideas. We read each other's books, which was really helpful because a number of them I found really relevant for the Mm -hmm. pandemic. It was a different kind of team. We were all doing our own thing. And that's one kind of teamwork, right? You do your little bit. The sum of the parts is greater than the whole, as they say. Uh, it was really exhilarating. And I'm enormously proud of it. It was rushed. I wish the book, there were a couple of little errors that got into the book. And every time I look at it, I cringe a little bit. But you know what? In six weeks, from start to finish, off to the, that is enough to make me say, you know what? A couple of mistakes is okay.
0: <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Well, I want to also ask you, so we're talking about virtual teams, but we're also kind of switching everything virtually. Sometimes, you know, employees are hiring people without borders, I would say, from different states nowadays. They're looking for talents, different places. Starting from the basics, how can we make sure that the business culture or the corporate culture or just your small, you know, small business, no matter what type, like what size business is. How can we make sure that the culture gets transferred virtually correctly?
1: I don't want to sound like a smart aleck, but you can't. You can't make sure. Here's the thing. Mars was a very quirky company. I'll use this as an example. Mm-hmm. Really unusual company, for example. And you'll read about this in Lessons for Mars. Until about three years ago, every Mars associate, capital A associate, we called every employee an associate. And not employee. They'd been called associates since the 1930s mm-hmm. before it was like cool to call people associates. Every Mars associate up to the global president punched a time clock. That's weird, <laughs> right? But everybody did it. And it was, and that's just what, we were in an open office before people did open offices, like open floor plan. Mm-hmm. And Mars was doing that since the 1930s before anybody else was doing it. It's a privately owned company. The Mars family actively involved in the business and their egalitarian nature, right? That was Mm -hmm. part of this thing about everybody punched a time clock. We're all just associates. That permeated the business. There is no way, even though I might want to describe that in great detail to somebody on the other end of a podcast or a telephone or a Zoom call, there's no way you can communicate what that feels like when you're in the building together. You simply can't do it. And it's important to reflect the values that underlie that, right? What is the value that says we work in an open floor plan and in buildings, by the way, that have no more than two floors, Mm -hmm. right? There's no like corner office on the top floor, no executive parking spaces, none of that. It's getting to the values that underlie and having values-based conversations and then trying to shape your virtual interactions around those values, then trying to replicate the artifacts, fancy consulting word the artifacts of the culture, virtually. That's a risk people fall into. It's a trap they fall into. So Mars has something called the five principles. That's their short list of values. There are actually other unspoken values in that culture. And every culture has those, by the Mm -hmm. way. So what are your company cultures? What are the unspoken values you hold dear? And start talking about those early and then start asking yourself, is this way we're having meetings? Is that true to our values? And does it reflect those values in this way of working? And then let the culture take care of itself. Culture is an outcome. People talk about shaping cultures and changing cultures. You change the stuff underneath the culture, and that leads to the change you want to see. That's my thinking on it.
0: No, it does make sense because a culture, again, is, you cannot be like, one, two, three, four, this is what we stand for. You know, this is what we're going to do. But if you try to fuse those principles and try to, you know, synchronize the actual what you guys stand for throughout Zoom meeting, just the style right. of it or the talking, right. I just feel as unfortunately for, you know, small businesses or for corporates, yep. there may have the turnover rate is really high. Now it's really struggling with this portion of it because you cannot really, you know, you're already having an issue and going virtually doesn't help that right. in person. I also want to focus a little bit about teamwork. Because a lot of people love teamwork, but they also don't love teamwork as much because especially very competitive people, they would like to get the credit, get like a credit of 100% of what they're doing. So how can we be selfless towards our work in a teamwork and think more big picture for everyone instead of just be like, I want this credit just for me and make sure you get the full credit.
1: A couple of thoughts about this, Romain, and I'll, I'll go a little off piste, as they say. If you've hired somebody who only wants their credit all the time, they want to take full credit for what they do, and you've put them onto a team where the work is going to be shared, you've made a bad hire. Let's just be real. Yeah. Nothing wrong with individual contributors. In fact, I think we often overplay teamwork and ignore the power of talented, gifted individuals to do great things by themselves. Sometimes you need those people. The key is, if you want teamwork, you hire people who have that capability. They don't have to be superb collaborators. They just have to be good enough. Mm -hmm. That's step one. There are jobs out there for straight-up individual contributors. Hire those people and let them do it. And don't try to make them be good team players because they won't perform at their best, and then you won't get what you need, and they won't feel any satisfaction either. It's a lose-lose if you do that. Hire the right people. I think that the key to all great collaboration is shared purpose. People will tell you, no, it's shared goals. You got to have shared goals. Nope. You know what? That is important. We need to be able to measure whether we've succeeded or not. But having a metric in place doesn't drive the kind of collaborative behavior that people say they need and which, in my experience, companies and teams need. The key to that is understanding what is the value of our collaboration? Why does it matter? Why do you and I working together create something better than if we worked individually? Mm-hmm. If you can define that for people, we need, if we're in a team of five people, and we can say, look, this particular set of projects won't be as good if we aren't working hand in hand on this. We can do individual bits ourselves, yes, but there's some parts of this that if we don't do it together, we will sub optimize. The output, right? We want to be great. What's the stuff that requires us to work together in order to achieve great? That's a team purpose. When you can put that into a sentence or two and say, these are the things, this is the area in which we must have superb collaboration in order to be the best we can be. I talk about that as the big why. This is why collaboration matters. If we don't collaborate on this, it won't be as good as it could be. Answer that question, create a statement that explains that. Then you'll get the collaboration you want because people will see the value in it. The, what happens is we hire people, we give them a paycheck as an individual. We hire them as individuals in the first place.
0: Yeah. We
1: probably promote them as individuals. We may give them some recognition as individuals. Of course, they're going to gravitate to do the things that feel good to them as individuals. If you create a powerful enough purpose that says, here's why collaboration is really important, then they'll be drawn to that and you'll get the collaboration you need. Does
0: that make sense? It does make sense. And I have another question for it, especially if you're working, let's say, X project, right? You know you need a strong teamwork Mm -hmm. of, let's say, five people for this and you need a whole new hires or just internally. Do you think companies maybe should do like personality tests or a little bit more testing to see how good people are towards teamwork before even assigning them to it?
1: You know, I heard from a company in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where the University of Michigan is located, and they're a software development firm. And they were speaking at a conference I was attending, and they talked about their hiring process. Mm -hmm. And they have a unique and very patient process. You come in, they will interview you. You get through a couple of rounds of team interviews. Mm -hmm. Okay, and say that takes a week or two weeks. You meet a bunch of people, and then they say, okay, Romina seems to be a potential fit for this company. We're going to bring Romina in on a conditional basis. We're going to put her on a software development team. We're going to hire her to do this project with this team, and we're going to see how it goes. It's a trial. It's for both sides, right? Romina's got to feel good about working here, and we want to feel that she can work in a very team-oriented fashion. And This was software development, and they were using Agile methodology. I don't know if you're familiar with Agile, but it's a customer-focused project management methodology that relies on teams and, and teamwork. And after three months, you were either hired or you were pretty much told the project was over and you you moved on. That's how you can identify people who can work in teams. You cannot do it through personality tests. You cannot do it by asking people if you were a car, what kind of car you would be. You can learn some interesting things. There's some pretty good psychometrics out there. But at the end of the day, nothing tells like behavior, right? True. Behaviorally-based interviewing can be useful. It's harder to work that system. It's probably more valuable than personalities or psychometric surveys. Bring people in and see how they fit and be very upfront about it, right? That's how you'll hire the people who will work in the way you and your company need them to work and fit the culture that you cherish, whatever that may be in your organization.
0: This show is sponsored by Sales Law of Average's online course. The course is a business development course teaching sales professionals and entrepreneurs how to master their sales funnel through sales and negotiation techniques. We all work hard on our leads, but unfortunately often fail to convert those leads to sales. Well, now you can say goodbye to those days. Order the course today at connectwithromina.com forward slash courses to get a deep discount. Receive access to over 40 videos, five hours of training material, and study even movie negotiation scenes today for just $79. Use the promo code ROMINA, which is spelled R-O-M-I-N-A at checkout. Again, the website is connectwithromina.com forward slash courses and use the promo code ROMINA, that's spelled R-O-M-I-N-A at checkout. Master your sales today. So, My follow-up question to that, since everything is kind of turning virtually, some places, at least in Florida, you know, places are open, you can go to work depending on from state to state, it kind of works different. But if you want to be a really good team player and a really good employee, and you just those are your standards, you're technically taking work at home right now. So work life balance is getting even kind of more complicated. If you're a great team player, but maybe a supervisor or the rest of the team is taking advantage of you know, how much of a team player are you? Where do you set up the boundaries so you don't lose the life work balance while working virtually?
1: So I hear two questions in there, actually. I hear one question about- (laughs) I have a lot
0: of questions. (laughs) Well,
1: that's why you're doing a podcast. What a great place to be. I hear a question about how do you ensure that everybody's carrying their weight on the team? Mm -hmm. Because you can't monitor them. Well, you can. There are lots of softwares that will do that for you. The only way to do this, in my experience, and I've worked remotely for years before this hit. I I worked remotely for Mars for 10 years. 10 years?
0: From Mars. Eight, eight
1: years. Well, not from Mars, but for Mars. I, wor- I was based in Virginia. My boss was based in the UK. So I've been working remotely for a while. You have to do it based on not measuring work or managing work, but managing outcomes. Productivity. Right? Well, it's productivity is one way to say it. I think of productivity as a way to gauge how efficiently I'm using the time I've allocated to something. Okay. I'm talking about, say, look, Carlos, we need a training program for this kind of person to be launched on this date, go. We'll have check-ins. We'll set some milestones. By Mm -hmm. this date, this should be done. By this date, that should be done. But notice each of those milestones is keyed to an output. This has to be done. That has to be done. That has to be done on the final date. The thing is ready to go. Use your time any way you want, Mm -hmm. Carlos. You can work from 5 in the morning until 10 in the morning and then take a three-hour break and then work from 4 to 6. Whatever you want. All I care about is we have clear milestones and a clear deliverable that's delivered on time. Manage your time. Now, that gets complicated when you're working with a colleague. So Carlos and Romina have to collaborate. We sit down with the boss. The boss says, hey, you guys, got that program? It's got to be done by this date. Contract with each other. Collaborative yeah. contracting, I call it. Figure out how you can make this work. Up to you. All I care about is that every two weeks or every three weeks, we check on the milestones. If you have any concerns, you come to me. I can help you work through difficulties if you have them. Conflict arises after all sometimes. If someone's not carrying their weight, what that Mm -hmm. means is they're not coming through with the deliverables. So if you and I are working together and I'm not doing what I said I would do, so we miss our first milestone, then you have to have a conversation. And it's unmistakable and completely Mm -hmm. apparent because there was a concrete thing that had to be there and it's not there. It's not somebody judging about, do I spend enough time at my keyboard? Are there enough keystrokes per hour? All these things can be measured. If I'm spending too much time on the internet, that can be measured. It's purely about what are the things that are getting done and managing to that. That's the only way you can do it. And somebody who doesn't live up to their agreements, there you go. And you know it quickly and easily, and you say, sorry, we have to do something else here. Or we go into a performance improvement plan, right?
0: Yeah. But now let's go to the opposite. Yeah. How do you set boundaries if somebody's working a lot more than expected and it's Um, pushing, you cannot find that balance?
1: The boundaries are set by individuals. So Mm -hmm. the smartest managers I've talked to, and I've talked to many of them through this whole pandemic crisis, have said more than ever, I have to be in touch with the individuals on my team. You don't set boundaries for a team. You set boundaries at the individual level. Okay. So I happen to know that Carlos actually likes working weekends Mm -hmm. because he sometimes needs to take a weekday off to go be with his grandkids. Carlos manages his boundaries. I'll manage them differently than you will or than another colleague will. The key is check in with your people. How's their energy level? How engaged are they feeling? Are they struggling with boundaries or not? If they are, offer some guidance. And if not, maybe a colleague can offer some. What I've learned from those smart managers is it's very much a person by person kind of evaluation and set of choices because everybody's life is different, right? I'll never forget talking to one person, can't remember what the project was, but I had one individual who was in Paris working from her apartment, single, no pets, and literally couldn't go outside without permission for the government. Another person was at home in New Jersey with three kids trying to do homeschooling and a husband also working from home to very different sets of circumstances where boundaries will look very different, right? So there are all sorts of variations in between those. The key is connect with your people as individuals, find out how they're doing and help them manage boundaries that make sense for them and their circumstances.
0: So what I've seen, especially in 2020, what I've seen is the people, the consultants that have worked remotely for years, now they're finally getting the chance to share their practices with others Mm -hmm. and rise up because says, hey, I've been doing it for years. Let me help you. Like, let me share my practices with you. Do you think we're going to go to a moment that everybody just going to end up working remotely? There's jobs that you cannot work remotely. Let's just be honest about it. Right. But do you think a lot of jobs are going to end up moving remotely just because a lot of expense cuts for businesses? Oh, yeah.
1: That's going to be in there. So take a company like Mars. Mars really values its open office environment and the kinds of accidental interactions that happen and the serendipity that rises from those. Yeah, And Mars isn't stupid. Real estate's expensive. Why would they devote thousands of square feet to work that could be done as effectively elsewhere? The other thing to factor in is the individuals involved. Some people want to be in an office and will be more highly engaged and productive in an office. Some will be more highly engaged and productive from home. Others want a hybrid, right? I read an article just the other day. We estimate that about 40% of us are working from home now. This estimate suggested, and it concurs with other things I've read, that about half of people will return to the office slash plant, wherever they're working, so that about 20% of jobs will stay and the other 20% will go back. I think we'll see some interesting hybrid. And that's something to remember throughout this. Nobody has the right answers. Nobody has a crystal ball, (laughs) right? We don't know. And we can't, one mistake is we're going to manage today as if Six months from now, we'll be back in the office because we don't know. Yeah. But it would equally be a mistake to say, let's just assume we're going to be remote forever because that's the way things are going to be. Maybe. Now, some companies clearly have said, you know what? Keep working remotely.
0: Yeah. Those folks, they know. Oh, there's been a lot of companies, especially here in Jacksonville, Florida, because a lot of companies have moved headquarters here and now everybody's just working remotely. So. You see, you, no lights, no nothing, and everybody just from home.
1: I do believe that what's going to happen, you'll see shifts in the real estate market. I think square yep. footage, commercial real estate prices will drop. People will be told, hey,
0: buyer's market, we've got guys. It's a,
1: it's a buyer's market. Let's create a space where we can work together when we need to. There's nothing like being in a room with five or six or seven other people and just going after a problem together, whiteboard covered with marker and equations and ideas. It's brilliant. We want to do some of that. So we'll see where it lands. I think we're social creatures. We will structure our work to take advantage of that. How it looks a year from now or two years, heaven only knows.
0: We don't know. I feel like five years skews in one year with 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about Lessons from Mars. Tell us okay. about this book, because it's a lot of research that have gone behind it.
1: Yeah, Lessons from Mars. I was asked in 2008 or 2009 as an internal consultant at Mars to focus on teams and teamwork, to be an internal resource for teams who wanted to do better, be better. I had a methodology in place. I had adopted it from an external consultancy who was working with us, and I was using that methodology to work with teams. It was based on something called Tuckman's Four Stages of Team Development. Very, very well known. Kind of a rock in the team building world. It's been around for decades. And it came from a Bruce Tuckman, who was a professor. But what I noticed was after about a year and a half of doing this, I wasn't making a difference. We'd have some great conversations. We'd learn some fascinating things. But then they'd kind of fall back into old habits. It wasn't affecting behavior change. About the time I'm making that observation, Mars said, hey, we need to put something into our management development program to help early career managers work better with their teams. Well, what I knew was the stuff I'd been doing Despite its history as a, as a stalwart in the team building space, it wasn't really working. The yeah. world had moved on since Bruce Tuckman developed his four stages. I was my best guess. I was stuck. I didn't know what to do. That was what I'd been using is what I learned in my second grad degree from American University. And my standbys just weren't delivering the goods. And a colleague of mine, and I'll mention her name, the Bal, who now works for Maersk, the shipping and logistics company, said, you know, you've worked with about 200 teams in the past couple of years. You should go look at your data because I very rigorously interviewed people. I conduct surveys about the teams. And I was skeptical, but I said, yeah, you know, I've got nothing else to do. Let me look at that. It revealed patterns that dive into my data, sorting it, looking at it, analyzing it, revealed some really interesting insights into teams and most interestingly into how individual motivation and teamwork intersect. And if you can manage that intersection, you can get a tremendous amount of teamwork and collaboration done. Nobody, as far as we knew, had looked at that intersection before. When I ran this work past a couple of pretty smart Harvard-level people, they said, this is interesting. <laughs> I thought, okay, well, I, I'll take I'm that. i it into something. <laughs> and then the more we taught it at Mars, I would go around the world, literally around the world, training people in the methodology we developed out of that research. And they said, you got to write a book about this. And people kept telling me, you got to write a book about this. And I, I had never written a book before. I had secretly always wanted to write a book, but I never thought it would be about this. One point a friend of mine said, Hey.
0: You really need to write it. <laughs>
1: well, she she had written a book already and she said, I'm organizing an author's retreat in the Riviera Maya down in Mexico. She said, We're going to take a week and we're just going to write and we're going to critique each other's work and go back and write some more and critique some more. I said, sign me up. And so I spent a week in this beautiful place at Maya Tulum in Mexico and the Maya Riviera or Riviera Maya. And I came away with An outline for a book, the core content for a number of chapters. An editor, my colleague who'd organized the retreat, uh, had worked with an editor and she said, you need to connect with her. Michelle was her name and she can help you. And that began the journey of that writing of that book and the sharing of the research, the somewhat contrarian ideas that I have adopted as a team effectiveness guy. I don't know. It was a labor of love. I wrote it. I was in, I was still working at Mars full time. I worked on weekends. I, once in a while, I'd take a few days off and fly somewhere and hole up in a hotel room just to write. And it took two years to get done. I was lucky enough to find a publisher, and that's the story.
0: Some stuff that I want to highlight from that. Uh, number one, I love how you said you went back to pretty much study the pattern and the behaviors from the surveys that they've done and everything. Because that just shows there's a really deep research that went behind it, and yes. you would be able to see the changes throughout it. The information on the show notes as well so if you are being lazy and don't want to type it up then Let's both um,
1: hold the book here i'll hold mine up go. too <laughs> i don't know if you can see mine or not
0: um you guys can just tap on the show notes take you right away to the book where you can purchase it oh my goodness i feel like i can ask like a hundred more questions to us about teamwork because it's just something that you know it's a lot of aspects of it that you can touch but instead i am actually just going to leave the audience with the links for the books definitely go ahead and do so but Carlos, if they want to get in touch with you directly, where can they find
1: you? Yep. So you can search me on LinkedIn. I have a pretty active LinkedIn presence. Carlos Valdez de Pena, Valdez Dash de Pena. Is there do, should I spell that, Ramita, or, or will they see it somewhere in the show notes? I will
0: put it on the show right. notes as well. Thank so we'll you.
1: make sure. I spell that name a lot on the phone, as you can imagine. I can't oh, order.
0: I'm right there with you.
1: <laughs> I'm with you. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, and then uh, car- carlosvdependa.com which is my website.
0: Perfect. And then what's a new and exciting project that you're working on that you'd like to share with us right now?
1: I am working, it's in the proposal stages with a company, a global dairy products company. It is their operation that's in Russia and the CIS, the former Soviet states. Uh, it would be a year-long management development program probably 10 modules or 11 modules. We would, uh, I would invite in some professor friends of mine to come speak on various aspects of teamwork and teams and collaboration and leading teams. Uh, I would be the moderator myself. I have two colleagues in Russia who are doing the account management and the pro- program management on it, but it's, it's a big deal. It's got me a little nervous because it's so big. I've actually just invited a, second, a fourth person to think about joining us on the team. But I'm, I'm excited about it because it's at the scale I, I really want to work, right? It's going to touch an entire organization, tens of thousands of people, and could make a difference in each of their individual lives. So that's exciting. And that's one of the, one of the many things I'm working on right now.
0: So the, the type of organization, the type of work would be your ideal client as well? Listen to this interview. It's like, I like him, like, and I hire him.
1: Let me tell you what I do. I help organizations figure out how to clear out all the noise and clutter around teamwork and collaboration and focus collaboration in where it makes the biggest difference and will have the biggest return. I help you do that, and I give you the tools so you can do it yourself. We work together for a while, but my goal is to educate and empower people to take the concepts we discovered at Mars and make them work for you, give you ownership of this, so that you can do the great things that we learned to do at Mars. So my ideal client is somebody who wants to bring on board some new proven thinking about teams and teamwork and work with me to help instill that into their organization.
0: Perfect. And you guys, the show notes, if you're being lazy, again, a click away, just tap there. <laughs> we'll take it to his website. <laughs> now, my final question, which I have to be biased. This is my favorite question ever. And I'm always intrigued about the answer. What is your personal definition of success?
1: Well, it has a lot to do. I had a health scare a couple of years ago. When you do that, you have to face your mortality. And so my definition of success will be uh, I'm on my deathbed looking back. God willing, I'm conscious enough to do that. And to say I spent time with the people I love. I made the most of every minute I could of my life and just lived my life fully, whatever that might mean, however much longer time I have on this planet. I don't want to miss a minute of it. And whether I make a lot of money or get a big car in the garage, who knows? Maybe that's a part of it. I just think it's all about the people. I'm a grandparent now, and that's been hugely rewarding. And am I getting enough time with my grandkids? I can never have enough of that. So I'll look back and say, you know what? I spent my time in the right places with the right people doing the right things.
0: I like that. Spend the time with the right people in the right places doing the right thing. Every time I get a different answer, and I love it.
1: (laughs) You could write a book about this, Romina.
0: I did think of it, actually. We're defining definition, 2.0 or something like that. I like it. You never know. With my brand, with a visionary, it's always something. It's running 100 miles an hour here. Oh, my goodness. Would you like to say any last thing for our audience? Maybe something that I didn't ask you that you definitely want to leave a last message or just mention anything else besides what we just covered.
1: You know what I want people to know? That teamwork is one of the great, great things in life. And there's a lot of hocus pocus out there, a lot of things people do to create team spirit and teamwork. What it comes down to is two or three or however many human beings coming together around meaningful work that's satisfying for them to do and that helps them deepen their relationship while they do it. And that's what I want people to look for in their lives. Where are the places, the meaningful work, and let the relationships grow up around the work so you can look at that thing you've created and go, man, we did that. Not only did we do that, but we got to know each other and we created a bond that's unlike any other, right? I mean, in life, there's love, which is one kind of bond, but then there's this other wonderful, deeply human experience of collaboration that creates a whole other kind of bond It is every bit as worthwhile. And look for that in your life. Go look for that. And if you're not finding it, well, read my book. Maybe it'll help you find it.
0: (laughs) On the show notes, the link, you guys.
1: (laughs) Sell, sell.
0: Well, I mean, I am a salesperson. (laughs) Carlos, thank you so much for being a part of the show today. I really appreciate it. And for you, my dear listeners, make sure to tune in every Tuesday to listen to amazing episodes just like this one and get the right dosage of knowledge for the week so you can develop yourself personally and professionally because we are one individual at the end of the day, no matter how much to try to split it. Carlos, thank you again for being on the show.
1: Romina, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. This podcast is a 67 Radius production. To learn more about 6-7 Radius, our services, and how we can help you strategize your marketing and increase your sales, click the service tab on connectwithromina.com.